Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. Welcome, everybody. Uh, Another episode of the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. We have a special Easter edition. Um, uh, Today is Easter, uh, of course, celebrating uh, Jesus's uh, resurrection. Amen. And Mm -hmm. so we thought we would bring you this special uh, kind of bonus episode. Uh, We wanted to kind of discuss around this time. You always see like, especially on like history channel and National Geographic, (laughs) there's all these, did Jesus really live or was he really whatever? And it's all these so-called scholars who put their two cents in. Mm -hmm. So we thought it would be fun. And I think we might've briefly like high level touched on some of this and some previous episodes, but we wanted to do a deeper dive into, okay, what if it wasn't real? Or what if it was a hoax, mm-hmm. I guess? Like, mm-hmm. what would what would that look like back mm-hmm. then? Mm-hmm. And so just kind of diving into that. So um, as always, Zach and Robert here Hey-o. with me. Hey, hey. And uh, yeah, so really uh, fascinating to hear more about this. So um, without further ado, I'll let you guys take over. Yep. Oh, yeah. This is actually one of the topics I just love to talk about most, not just because it's Easter, but I mean all year round, this topic in particular really fires me up personally, because I mean, it's one thing for Christians to say that, you know, most of us have a certain political bents or some of us, most of us have a certain stance on a moral issue, the things that we are, we've become known for. But whenever someone confronts me on that, whenever I'm in an evangelistic conversation, one of the things I like to go to, to go straight to Jesus is, look, I'm one of those crazy people. I actually believe someone rose from the dead. This isn't about a political stance. This isn't about some moral uh, appeal to the culture. I actually believe that someone rose from the dead, and that's the true source and power of the Christian message. No matter what country you're living in, no matter what your political ideas are, no matter what uh, your your stepping stone on the socioeconomic ladder is for those who believe in Christ. This is what they're saying. They mm-hmm. say that someone rose from the dead. It's changed our entire view of reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in high school, and uh, if you want to hear our testimonies, zip back to the first episode. So I won't go into detail and waste time. But when I was in high school, the thing that turned me to genuine faith for myself was looking at the evidence of the resurrection and going, "Wow, this." is actually a lot more airtight than anybody would ever admit to. And mm-hmm. and I know that our natural inclination is to try to say that it's a ridiculous idea because people do not rise from the dead. I mean, it's not like apples falling out of a tree. You know, Isaac Newton noticed, you know, apples will fall. Objects will fall. Gravity's a thing. We look at death and we know that death does not reverse itself. Mm-hmm. It's just something right. we all know. If you've were born any sooner than yesterday at three o'clock in the afternoon. You know this. But what we miss is that the original apostles who preached Jesus rising from the dead, these people who were willing to go to jail, these people who were willing to be beheaded, crucified upside down, speared in the gut, chased to the ends of the earth, stoned to death, hung, uh, left for dead in, in the streets, people who are chased from their houses, burned in oil, burned in oil, uh, roasted alive, put, put filleted, on, filleted alive, yeah. put in prison for the rest of their lives for those who could not be killed. Uh, that's an interesting story for another time. But, but these people were willing to pay these sacrifices because they weren't born yesterday at three o'clock either. They knew <laughs> people do not rise from the dead, but they knew what they had seen. They and 500 other people in sound mind, several different levels of education, several different cultural backgrounds, several different occupations, several different corners of the Jewish world, and the people gathered there 
all saw the same thing. And now that's one of my favorite go-to hoax explanations. People who try to explain away the resurrection will try to say that these people saw an hallucination. Mm, right, right. They're, yeah. Oh, no, no, you're good. You go for it, man. Oh, you're I, was, fine. I was just reiterating, yeah. Reiterating? Right. Cool. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, this speaks yeah. volumes. I've picked up books by scholars about the resurrection who do not believe. And in instead of just trying to say that the whole story is a falsehood, uh, the same way like the Arabian Nights, Treasure Island, um, Aladdin and the Lamp, all these things are, are falsehoods. Instead, they're actually usually trying to explain away what occurred, which speaks volumes about how airtight these certain events are. Mm -hmm. A man named Yeshua Hanazareth was crucified. Days later, his followers rose up in public and claimed that they had seen him alive. The authorities threatened to crush them physically if they didn't stop. They did not stop, and today we are still talking about this Yeshua man, mm -hmm. and they can't deny that. Now, they can say they were crazy. They could say that they were trying to start a cult, and it backfired horrendously. They can say anything they want to, but they can't say this did not happen. This did not happen. They can't say that. And so one of the favorite things that they say is this was just an hallucination that their grief caused this psychosis where they would see the man standing there. Now, if it was one person... If the whole Bible were written by a single individual, and there are some holy books mm -hmm. in this world that do have a single author, yep. um, you can go and a quick Google search will tell you who these are, so I won't call them out on, on air and waste time. But, instead of going through the list, but um, <laughs> if this had been a single person's work, now that would have been an easy explanation, and all honestly, just about anyone who heard it would just abandoned ship yeah um hopefully, hopefully. hopefully yeah <laughs> i mean i could lose my mind tomorrow and claim that i saw you know mickey mouse riding on a unicorn he's coming back in a hundred years to That's... claim the world for disneyland and the whole world will be disneyland and we'll just eat popcorn and ride roller coasters for eternity wow. now that makes an amazing news article and you'll laugh at it and move on but to change the whole world now, it was not just one person. We're talking 500 individuals <laughs> who all claim to have seen the same thing. And, of course, this message kept getting repeated. The stories about him were constantly getting repeated. So if they had a shared hallucination, they would have most likely have had the same idea, but they probably would have had different details. He probably would have been wearing a different colored robe. He probably would have been standing in a different spot doing different things. But for all of them to match up, like they all agree, like, yeah, he was standing on that hill. He had one hand raised. Now, these are not biblical de details. I'm just giving examples of something specific that they would have noticed. And uh, not a single one of them contradicted it. They all saw the exact same thing. If two people see the exact same thing, people perk up and notice. They realize that this is not a hallucination. Something was going on. But for that many people to have seen the same thing at the same time in the exact same way, it, it should tell anybody, especially a psychologist, that this is not how psychosis works. Yeah, uh, a, a good just kind of— Oh, you're good. Just to kind of reiterate that. Um, so uh, as our understanding of uh, hallucinations goes and develops, um, it's actually been proven that it's impossible. Like, if a group of people are hallucinating, like— 500 people hallucinating. That's not impossible. But what is impossible for all 500 people to hallucinate the same thing. That is impossible. Um, minds are different. Their reaction to these Yeah, the thing, brain just doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah. the brain is not going to have the exact same yeah. uh, hallucination. The, the, uh, the chemicals or whatever it is that causes this hallucination or the uh, extreme grief that they had um, would not cause the hallucination to be exactly the same. They might be like, oh, well, I saw Jesus over here in the super pets, or I saw Jesus over here at McDonald's, you know. You know, that, that doesn't correlate to what these people were saying. These people were saying that they saw uh, Jesus, and, and for it to be a mass hallucination, they wouldn't have the same details. It's kind of like if you imagine, hopefully no one here does this or knows this, but... Uh, if you 
take some sort of um, hallucinogenic. If you take that and your buddy takes that and another buddy takes it, you're not all three going to have the same effects, the same visual um, stimulus. You're, they're going to be different. And so the fact that 500 people correlate the information, it points to the fact that as our understanding of how hallucinations work has grown, is this prove the possibility of that even being a chance? Like, there's there's zero chance of 500 people hallucinating and having the same hallucination. Uh, exactly. I mean, it's kind of like a dream. It, it's internalized. It's something that your own brain creates to interpret reality around you in a false way. And so, for it to somehow beam itself from one mind to another, it takes something beyond the human mind to do that. <clears throat> and so. Just the fact that this is one of their favorite go-tos tells you that, you know, some of their attempts to explain away what happened at that time, 2,000 years ago, that they are, they, they're kind of grasping at straws in an attempt to explain this in a natural way. But uh, specifically from the apostles' perspective, you know, what can account for what occurred? And so we wanted to, starting with the hallucination one, that's the most common and we've already torn that apart in my mind. So going down the list of all these other explanations, um, Zach, can you think of another theory that's been... I'll let you yeah. pick the next one. Yeah, so one theory out there is that, uh, again, going back to the kind of like the crucifixion, is that Jesus was there. He was crucified. All that stuff did happen to him, but he actually didn't die. Um, that he, yeah, yeah, that um, he uh, endured the the whipping of the nine tails, the crown of thorns, all these things, and then, but he wasn't actually dead. He just perceived to be like everyone thought he was dead, and they took him down, and the coolness of the tomb uh, revived him. Okay, so one. Yeah, so one one big uh, thing about that is they don't understand. Like one, they've not read the Bible. Uh, it helps if you read the Scripture um, because two th- two significant things happen um, that are outside Jesus Jesus's control, outside the apostles' control. Um, so the first thing that happens is that after Jesus says. Into my into my into your father's hands that you commit my my spirit. That may not be exactly how it's said, but he says that word those words roughly, um, and he basically dies. And this is where people say, well, he didn't actually die; he was just almost dead. The problem with that is in the gospel accounts, you have a Roman centurion take up a spear and stab Jesus. In the side, and when that happens, and and I'm not a I'm not a medical guy. Um, Brian here has a little bit of background in the medical field, just a little bit, um, and he can probably clarify some stuff. I mean, he's not a doctor, but I'm sure he knows some stuff. Um, when the uh, when the spear thrust was pulled out, when it came out, when the spear came out, it said water and blood were separated. Water came out. Now, inside a human body, there is not just a fountain of water. Like, if I if I get stabbed, water is not going to gush out of my body. Blood will gush out of my body. So, what is the determining factor? What happens is that your blood actually begins to separate. I mean, is that correct, Brian? Is that am I right in saying that, or you want to clarify on on those things? Yeah. So it's actually so basically when you're under that much stress, when the body is, or you have a chest injury, or just because like hanging on a cross, you know, your joints are going to separate. Um, you're not going to be able to breathe uh, under that kind of strain, and it's called a pleural effusion. It's basically when fluid from your tissues build up around your lungs and around your heart, and you basically have swelling of, mm. of tissue and fluid, and like actual, like what you said, it's, mm. it's, it's water, it's mm. not blood, it's mm. actual 
tissue fluid mm-hmm. and um, that builds up and you can't breathe and um, you can actually suffocate and choke because your lungs are being constricted by all this fluid buildup. And so to have someone take a giant spear and basically stab into your side, you know, mm-hmm. in between the ribs and puncture that, you're going to have water-like fluid flow out mm-hmm. um, in addition to blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, that's that's highly documented. Like, that's a common medical emergency, uh, pleural effusion. Um, and that can, and I've seen where a lot of doctors have analyzed, like, mm-hmm. the biblical accounts of the crucifixion and... The Romans are trained in death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are very, very good at killing people. Right. Mm-hmm. So with all of that, and I mean, they had perfected the art of crucifixion. They didn't. They didn't invent crucifixion. They perfected it. Mm-hmm. And they're. You're not going to be alive after mm-hmm. that. And and let's and let's even just play devil's advocate and say, yeah, he was still alive. Okay, just just. Let's just play that. Okay, when you have went through that much trauma and there's that buildup and not including all the injuries that you've sustained and the cuts and the lacerations. The blood loss from the flogging. Yes. Your arms are literally wrenched from their sockets. Right. Your shoulders are dislocated. Yeah. Your wrists are dislocated. Mm -hmm. Your ankles are probably dislocated. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of this stuff. Right. So when... Like, let's say that he was still alive, okay, and then he gets put in a tomb, and it's closed for three days. By a giant By a giant rock. rock. <laughs> yeah. Okay, common sense. Uh, okay, so let, let's, just, let's just back up. You take a person who is, you know, physically fit, not being crucified, and you take water away from them for three days. They're going to dehydrate. And they're going to die, depending on their exertion, etc., what have you. Okay, that is what happens. You get dehydrated and you die. You there's only so many days that you can go without water, in a perfect situation. Now, take into account that he's been flogged, his skin has been torn open, he's bleeding. Like uh, Brian said, um, his ankles, his arms, all these things are dislocated. I mean, you're going to go septic from bacterial infections because they probably didn't sanitize those flogs. Right. You know, and it probably wasn't the cleanest environment because they didn't really have germ theory back then. Right. So if you have massive gaping open wounds and gashes all over your body, bacteria, infection, you're going to go septic, septic shock. Um, It's, it's It's a good bet that you get put in a tomb and it getting sealed. You're not coming out of it. No. There's no. there's no the coolness of the air is going to re rejuvenate you. I'm sorry, but it's not like if you have uh if you have cat nine tails whip you like even like like I th- I think I remember reading accounts of of people getting whipped with cat nine tails. Like if you reach uh, like a hunt like getting hit like by one of those by like fifty to a hundred times. Oftentimes, that itself is lethal enough to kill you. Yeah. Um, so even if, let's say that the the uh, the cat nine tails whipping didn't kill him, but left gaping wounds, again, you're in a tomb. You're in the darkness. You're in some place that's cold. You're you're literally bleeding out, um, and you're in there for three days. Um, that's a big kind of red flag that you're not going to come out of that. I mean, it's just, it's not going to happen. Plus, I would mm-hmm. love to see someone, even if you, like what you said, took the most physically fit, just absolute specimen of a man, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. dislocated his shoulders, and like you said, dehydrated mm-hmm. him, and all this stuff. I would love to see that person roll away. Mm-hmm. I mean, and who even know how many that had to that stone would had to have been what maybe hundreds a of pounds. Yeah, easy, yeah. easily. You know, maybe a, at least a ton. Right. Yeah. 
and to ha imagine your both your arms and shoulders are dislocated and your ankles yeah and you're <laughs> going to get purchase <laughs> on that and roll it <laughs> under your own strength right with you know dehydrated and dislocated and probably have infections mm -hmm. setting in like it ain't happening no. I, I don't care no who you are no one can common sense believe that there's no. not a personal life who genuinely deep down can think logically about that right. and believe that that was a yeah i mean it, it and, and i, I don't, i'm not trying to like belittle anybody because i mean obviously coming to the idea that someone rose from dead it is a hard thing to swallow if you don't believe in god and you have a just a super naturalistic not supernaturalistic just a naturalistic explanation um, but if you have a supernatural being who created all things and is above all things, then death really isn't the final ending. He's actually, he has power over that. Um, so it's actually logical, feasible, like if a supernatural being who created all things exists, that he would then be able to supersede death and raise from the dead. And I hate to play devil's advocate, but I know listeners out there probably screaming at their phones or at their speakers or whatever they're listening to from this. But I guess to play devil's advocate for the people who don't believe, who mm -hmm. might be listening to this, I guess from their perspective, it's fine for you to say, yeah, the gospel says 500 people witness Jesus, mm -hmm. but how do you prove those 500 people like couldn't someone have just written in the gospel 500 people saw right. this like yeah. i can make up something and i can say a thousand people saw bigfoot in right. my backyard yesterday right. that doesn't necessarily mean that there were a thousand people who saw it so mm -hmm. how do you verify those accounts well i would say and robert can kind of chime in this after i kind of oh, finished yeah. my thought um one thing to keep in mind is the audience well, not the audience the the people of the day and time how did they respond mm -hmm. and the reality of it is not everybody became a christian not everyone whenever jesus was a supposedly rose from the dead not everyone believed actually there was a great many people who didn't believe um, and they would have every reason, desire, and motive to debunk this thing. Okay, so first off, you have the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were the royal, uh, not royal, but the, the, like the priesthood and um, uh, the rulers of the temple and certain elements of Jewish uh, customs and things like that. You also had the king, of, uh, and then you also had the uh, Roman uh, governors and things like that. So they weren't by themselves the lead uh, rulers, but they had political influence. So um, one thing that they did was they went to um, Pontius Pilate, who has been historically proven to exist, mm -hmm. um, point Oh, yeah. So just want to say that um, they went to Pontius Pilate and said, hey, look, he claimed that he's going to raise from the dead. Um, and they feared that the disciples would steal the body. And so they're like, put Roman, put guards there and protect this guy's tomb. OK, so they had that was their that was their solution to this. They actually. uh didn't believe Jesus, but at the same time, they did hear of some of the things that he predicted. And so they prepared uh, a contingency, so to say, so to speak, on the issue. So they actually had guards there to try and prevent the disciples from coming and steal the body. So that's what they were trying to prevent from happening. Move forward after the resurrection, what happens? Those same guys then say, "Oh, the disciples stole the bodies." That's 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 the, that's what we're going to say that it happened. So the very thing that they feared happening, all of a sudden, and didn't want to happen, all of a sudden they're going to say that that's actually what happened. Why was there such a shift in that they went from trying to prevent any kind of rumor at all that Jesus? 
um, uh, would raise from the dead. So they placed a guard there. And then they went to the fact that, oh, oh, no, the disciples stole the body. And that's what happened. The reason why is because the tomb actually was empty. Something happened for them to change their mind, to change their tomb. They were originally afraid that the disciples were still the body and propagate his idea that he rose from the dead. And then suddenly they're now saying what they feared hap- would happen, they were saying is what happened. Does that make sense? Is people are, am I, am I kind of making, is it making sense? What's happening? Yeah, yeah, it's making sense. It's it's solid evidence that something did happen to the corpse. Right, that it was empty. Right, yeah. and and the fact that they've switched their tune from the okay, the disciples are going to steal the body. We need to prevent that from happening. And then they're trying to spread that rumor, which then indirectly confirms that something's happened to Jesus' body. And they're trying to point it to his disciples, whereas before they were trying to say, we need to kick this, we need to stop this, we need to convince, prevent this from happening. And so long further out a little bit more with this idea is the, uh, the religious elite of that day and time were adamant, very, very adamant about um, stamping out any sort of uh, religious view out there that didn't re- uh, correspond to um, Jewish tradition. And so they would be heavily invested in trying to stop this religion from taking root and growing, and yet they couldn't. And the question is, why couldn't they? If they had the political power, if they had the Roman government behind them, how come they weren't able to uncover Jesus' body because they had the Roman Empire behind them. They had their own Sanhedrin behind them. They had all these power behind them, and yet somehow 11 fishermen plus a couple other hundred people who saw the resurrection, they're they're somehow going to have more sway over the people Unless something supernaturally happened, do you ever think about that? Oh, that was just the inspiration. I think that whole thing was inspiration to Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> it was Peter's Eleven, and <laughs> yeah. a complicated, overly uh, engineered heist yeah. to steal the body. You Eleven know, fishermen oh, br- yeah. break into the tomb. Yeah. You know, thwart the Roman guards and. Yeah, John John was the youngest and the lightest, and so he was zipped down like in In between the laser beam, Mission Impossible style. He was zipped in on a fishing line, Mm -hmm. grabbed Jesus' body, lifted it up, left the the uh, cloth, the claws Mm -hmm. on the the thing, and took his body out. Come on, really? Oh, no. Complex series of cons happening all across uh, the area. All all the all the the female uh, followers of Jesus descend on the Roman centurion and mm-hmm. all the people, all the guards and seduce all of them and why they're being seduced. <laughs> gotcha. And the Roman guards were such pushovers. Yeah. You know, they would have gone along with it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because if there was anything a Roman centurion was known for, it was for being a, a wuss, a pushover. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, uh, I mean, even, and I'll go down this rabbit hole for, for a second because that that's the oldest um, objection in the book is that the disciples stole the body like we've been talking about but um this idea from the apostles perspective now let's say that they did it somehow they overpowered the romans somehow they got in snuck the body out and now they are the ones pushing this lie knowing it's a lie mm-hmm. now what did they get out of it because every cult leader in history who just starts his own thing like I threw out, you know, the world's going to turn into Disney World at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> if that was my cult, if I got something out of it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, w- w- that it becomes obvious what my motive was. Mm-hmm. Every cult leader throughout history, they always got, you know, the greatest wealth. Power. Yeah, they got yeah. power among the people. They got the wealth of the people. Usually when it's a man, they'll pass around the women in the camp. It just it, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. That's what he gets out of it. And so this it's an ego trip fueled by a religious mindset. 
But when you look at the apostles and their claim that Jesus rose from the dead, that started Christianity as we know it. It kindled the flame as we saw Jesus alive. Come kill us. I mean, what did they really get out of this? They got public shame. They got a lifetime of being ostracized. They got literally killed and murdered for literally all of them. They literally, I'm out of all of the 11 apostles who were there that day and witnessed it and claimed to have seen it to the world, they all died horrible deaths at the hands of their oppressors, either authority figures or people groups, except for John. Mm -hmm. And they tried to kill him. Mm -hmm. They tried at least twice. Both attempts failed, and they threw him into prison on the island of Patmos and in prison he wrote the book of Revelation Mm -hmm. and so it's just he was willing to die also and not a single one of them recanted this testimony if they knew this was a lie as soon as you kill that first guy I mean Mm -hmm. once Stephen got stoned to death in Acts chapter I believe 6 the I mean the very next day somebody would have been running to the authorities to save their own lives i mean mm-hmm. you're not going to let yourself just get slowly picked off in order to you know preach the spaghetti monster and you know it's nothing more than the spaghetti monster right 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 uh, if they f- hunted down the creators of the spaghetti monster it's a real thing google it <laughs> and they went to jail for life mm-hmm. they either recant that he exists or go to jail for life no one is going to throw that away they're just yeah right. yeah we no. recant the spaghetti monster let us go back to to life yeah. I mean, you wouldn't do that. And yet, every last one of the apostles willingly sacrificed that in order to have that done. Now, to rewind a little bit, you asked about 500 people. How in the world would we be able to say that and it be something that's concrete and oh, tangible? Yeah. And verify. Yeah, I went off on that weird tangent. I apologize. I've no, never answered that. Oh, you're fine. I decided <laughs> to ride that pony since since that was one of the actual criticisms. Yeah, yeah. They right, stole right. the body. I was like, yeah. let's finish this, and then okay. we'll circle back around to My the <laughs> to the other neighborhood. <laughs> but uh, where we get that number is from 1 Corinthians 15, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, because the whole time, uh, Paul, um, if you don't know who he is, um, Google him and find out, learn as much about him as you can. He was not one of the the apostles or disciples that night. He came in late to the story. He was one of the people trying to kill the Christians who were preaching this. And then overnight, he changes his opinion. He starts preaching that Jesus is true. And he spends the rest of his life being persecuted for the same message he was persecuting others for. Mm. But Paul is basically talking about the fact that If this is not really real, if this is not totally true the same way that uh, your speaker, however you're listening to this podcast, in the same way that that is really and absolutely true and tangible and fact in reality, if the resurrection of Christ did not really truly happen in the truest sense, then, then everything is completely a waste. He said we are the most pitiful people on the planet because we willingly threw ourselves away for a lie. He says this, and uh, he literally quotes what most scholars believe to be an old Christian creed. And so you have the letter of Paul was written way before the Gospels. To, for him to quote a creed that had already been established and circulated to the point where he could quote it without an explanation and they would know what he was talking about. Most scholars believe that once you get to that creed, that's literally about two to three months after the death of Jesus. And this creed is saying, uh, you know, he was crucified according to the scriptures. He rose again according to the scriptures. And they're saying this stuff. And two to three months is not enough time for any uh, historical event to become a legend. You know, for anybody to say, yeah. You know, uh, Jesus made fireworks come out of his fingers and, you know, a dragon came out of the ground and he rode around on it. And this turns into some old proverbial fairy tale. That's not enough time for people to say, oh, yeah, that happened because there were too many people alive who had seen what he had done, heard what he had said. They would have corrected each other. And, And going back to kind of what I was saying earlier is you had a group of people like the Pharisees and who had political motivations to try and end Christianity if at some point they found the body and or the disciples said something that was not true 
they could call them out on it because they were they had the desire to stop this movement from moving forward. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like they wouldn't allow a lie to be propagated. They would have killed it immediately if that makes sense. And the fact that they couldn't do that was a testimony uh, about the truthfulness of these people. Oh yeah, I mean one one false word about something Jesus did or said supposedly in public. Mm-hmm. That was an embellishment. It would have been attacked left and right. It would have gone nowhere. But uh, in the same passage, Paul is laying this out. You know, if it's not true, we're the most pitiful people alive. Here's the creed two to three months after Jesus' death. And then he finally lays out at the end of the passage, he's talking about um, the people Jesus appeared to. And he goes through the list and he mentions himself last. He said, last of all, he appeared to me. That's what convinced me as I saw him myself. But then he says <clears throat> that Christ appeared to 500 people at once. And again, how do we know Paul is telling the truth? There is a, a point of textual criticism that boosts the, cl- the plausibility of what he's saying because he actually issues what's called a, a contemporary challenge to the original readers. The original Corinthians to which 1 Corinthians was addressed to, the people in that church in the city of Corinth in ancient Rome who would have heard this letter written for the, or read for the very first time, Paul was talking to them in the room. He was thinking of their faces, those personalities, those people. History doesn't remember the names, but Paul knew them. Mm-hmm. And he is actually issuing this challenge in that moment. He said, Christ appeared to 500 at once, most of them are still alive and ready to hear someone challenge them about this. They're ready to hear somebody uh, approach them about these stories. And so Paul is literally, in effect, he is saying to these people, if any of you wants to doubt, we have names, we have addresses, we know people, we can, we can pay some fare for you to go and visit these people and talk to any of these people without any form of preparation, without any uh, collusion by us, and they will tell you what they saw in Christ. They will tell you that they saw him alive. And that's literally what Luke did. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he was never there. He was not a disciple. This is not an eyewitness testimony. He went around and he did the research. He got the stories. He did the background checks. He spoke to as many as he possibly could, I imagine, and when he felt like his his version of events based on eyewitness testimonies of others collected by him were enough, he sat down and he wrote the Gospel of Luke. And, you know, he just has all these different viewpoints gathered together, and that's Paul's challenge, is if you have doubts, we will take you to as many witnesses as you could ever hope for who have nothing to gain, everything to lose, and they'll tell you exactly what they saw. Uh-huh. And so the idea that 500 people saw him it's a lot more than just some uh, his, uh, some fairy tale detail, like Brian mentioned. You know, two thousand people saw Bigfoot in downtown Marion. Yeah, you go to downtown Marion and nobody knows what you're talking about. That ends that mm. that afternoon. That story's over, mm. and I'm just gonna hit you the next time I see you. <laughs> but <laughs> you made me waste all that gas. But um, or did he? Did he? <laughs> but just this idea that, you know, you can go and talk to these people. I'm signing my name to this. I'm throwing my life away for this. I used to kill other people for believing this, and now I believe it too. Come kill me. I mean, nobody can explain Paul. Yeah, because he had no reason to convert. No. Because he had everything. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's belief that he was in line to be, become part of the Sanhedrin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, his teacher was Gamaliel, and Gamaliel was in the Sanhedrin. So he was well on his way to being in that clique, so to speak, that religious clique. That, um, um, but he said himself, he's like, I count all that stuff as nothing as long as I gain Christ. Oh, yeah. I mean, he threw it all away, seemingly for absolutely nothing. And the only thing he has to go on is that this guy who, now put yourself in his shoes. He is trying to be one of the absolute best that ever was. He has a life of ambition. Um, He's an extreme perfectionist, a go-getter. The things that we do know about Paul. I mean, he was very, very zealous for the things he thought were important. 
and he thought nothing was more important than the law of God. Um, he literally, he thought in his mind he's doing God a service by getting rid of these bizarre cultists who are trying to shame the name of God by putting Jesus on level with him. I will kill them so that the law is purified. And all of a sudden, he says that this Jesus, this man that he had marked as an enemy, he literally appeared to me in a way that I cannot deny. And now that I've seen him too, I've become the 501st witness. Mm. And he literally throw, and like it's already been said, he threw it all away. But what was all? He threw away his career. He threw away his friendships in the Sanhedrin, in the Pharisaical circles. He was rubbing elbows. He had the ancient Jewish equivalent of a PhD sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. He was in line to be one of the greatest uh, Judaic minds of his entire lifetime. His name probably would have been right up there at the top of the Talmud. That's the Jewish uh, collection of rabbinical teachings. His name probably would have been right up there at the top of that thing if he had continued on his path. Mm -hmm. But he threw away his entire former life and he actually lists, and he gets angry with people at one point in one of his letters because they're tarnishing the name of Christ. And he literally says, like, you really want to say that you've sacrificed more than me? He said, I've been wandering around for years on these on these journeys I go on to preach Jesus to all these different cities. He says, I'm, I'm in danger on the road. I'm in danger in the city. I'm in danger in my bed. I'm in danger when I walk, when I eat. I'm in danger from my friends, from my enemies. I'm in danger from beasts that you encounter out in the wilderness i'm in danger from jews and from non-jews i'm in danger from philosophers from the authorities he said everywhere i go there's been nothing but danger and scars and pain one time i was literally killed and i miraculously was uh, resuscitated before uh, a rigor mortis set in i mean just what more could i possibly give to make you people believe that i'm sincere in what i'm saying right and and his mere presence in Jerusalem, there towards the end, uh, he start he's like his mere presence, his mere presence at the temple, kickstarted a riot. Yeah. Just just him actually just being there, I mean that shows you that like he was not like this wasn't you know um, some happy-go-lucky guy who had everything for him working out. No, he, I mean, like, his mere presence sparked a uh, uh, a mad uh, uh, attempt at his life, and then later there's even assassination attempts on his life, mm-hmm. um, like plots to try and kill him. So, I mean, literally, he lost everything and had nothing going for him. And yet he still preached Christ crucified. Oh, yeah. And he did it until his last breath. I mean, according to uh, historical tradition, and by that I mean very solid information that we get from um, extra biblical sources, people who lived at the time, uh, he literally proclaimed Christ until the point where um, Caesar at the time Uh, literally cut off his head in around the 60s AD Mm -hmm. and until that very last moment the very last swing of the blade he constantly just preached that Jesus rose again and I saw him Jesus rose again and I saw him and he and the half-brother James to add one more layer to this onion these two characters in particular are people that historians cannot explain if they try to wash away the resurrection now there Mm -hmm. was no reason at all for Paul to go after this. We've already covered all of this. I won't go down a, a repeat, but James also had no reason to go as far as he did. And before I, and if you know who he is, then it kind of sparks this interest all over again. He was literally Jesus's half brother, another biological child of Mary and Joseph. Shh, don't say that Catholics are going to hate you. Another biological child of Mary and Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> but uh anyway yeah, oh well but uh <laughs> James the Just is who we're talking about here. James the Just he was literally and it's just sh- just shocking scandalous reveal the people in this room don't happen to be catholic <laughs> big surprise no no hatred no hatred towards catholics i believe there are some saved catholics just like there are some saved baptists but we are baptists in this room <laughs> but uh 
But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to bring that tr- train back to the track I just derailed from. <laughs> it's but, my uh, fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, James the Just. Uh, I mean, for one, for a person to literally become so convinced that their big brother is God Almighty, that you literally join the cult that worships him as the resurrected king, you become one of the most prominent pastors of the ancient world. Because when Paul was converted, he went and he wanted to speak to the apostles himself. And he met with Simon Peter, and we've already established him as uh, other than Christ himself. Peter was the head of the church. And James the Just, who was pastor in the church of Jerusalem. Uh, he was he was present for uh, the Great Jerusalem Council, where they first decided that uh, non-Jewish Gentiles can be part of the church for the first time. He was uh, part of uh, just about any any big movement or event in Jerusalem. As the way of Christ was proclaimed, he was always involved with it. He wrote one of the most practical pieces of work in the New Testament period. His namesake, the letter of James. It's literally just a sermon detailing um, practicality for Christian life based on the fact that his brother is God Almighty. Now, the idea that James would go so deep into worshiping his own kin, like this is someone he he was raised with. This is somebody he had to live with. Probably told on him whenever he did something bad and he was trying to hide it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Always doing something uh, disrespectful. Um, whatever would be a, a sinless version of uh, sibling rivalry on <laughs> Jesus' part. And so for you to grow up and just say, I mean, most siblings don't even want to admit that their sibling is better than them at anything. Mm-hmm. But to say, oh, yeah, he is God Almighty in the flesh. He he holds heaven and earth. He is the ground, crown jewel of all creation. They're like, are you in love with him? It's like, no, he's my brother. But, <laughs> but I mean, to, to praise him like James praised him, because in his own letter, written by his own hand, he never mentions his relationship to Jesus. Mm. We only know it from context clues from other believers that this guy was related to him by blood. But he never throws that card down. He says, this letter is written by James, a servant. Uh, if you want to get into the deep Greek, a bond slave yeah. of Jesus Christ Almighty, Messiah, King of Kings. Now, now for, for you who have siblings, would you say yes. about your brother or sister that they were the Messiah, they, they were the Messiah that they were God? I guarantee you all you would say no. But this guy <laughs> said, yep. Yep, yep, he is. <laughs> he defied death. And, I mean, and you look at the context clues of his family during the earthly ministry. So you have arguably the three most significant years in human history when God in the flesh is walking upon dirt in sandals. And he basically missed it all. I mean, he was literally related to him. And it says that Jesus's brothers... James and another namesake, Jude, were included in this, along with Mary the mother. They're trying to drag Jesus out of the room while he's teaching because they believe he's insane. It uses the word, they believe he is not in his sound mind. He is throwing his life away. He's acting like a maniac. Uh, Forget the wisdom of his words. They just wonder, how in the world could he actually be throwing away his career as a carpenter? He is not getting married. He's not giving birth to any heirs he is not doing his father joseph any credit to his memory assuming joseph was dead by then i believe so everything points to that but basically saying he has thrown everything away to become this nomadic preacher he's gathering uh cutthroats and weirdos around himself peasants and he is literally proclaiming that you know the end is nigh and uh, I say that on purpose in a way that would make him sound crazy. And, of course, anybody else would have thought the same thing if he was related to Jesus. If I had a brother or an uncle or a cousin or anyone who started doing this, I would be concerned. <laughs> and you just know that this is not going to end well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could only imagine what was going, especially through Mary's mind. Uh, for one thing, to be a sibling of Christ, but to be his mother, mm. watching all of this happen. People turn against him, people trying to hate him, him escaping crowds over and over again just to make sure that he stays alive one more day to keep preaching until the day when the Father's timing says it is time to let the axe drop. 
and for Jesus himself, like a maniac, like a, a lunatic, to say, yeah, this was God's plan all along. I am his lamb. And you're like, oh, goodness, we got to get him out of this and get him into a nice rubber room where he'll get three <laughs> meals a day and give him his pills. And yet the brothers did everything they could to discourage this, to try to drag him out of this, to smack some sense into him. And he kept having to escape his siblings the same way he escaped his would-be killers for three years. And now, on the other side of things, uh, Jesus, his brother, is just a corpse in a grave. And then Paul, in that same passage in 1 Corinthians 15, says he appeared to his brother James. And James was never the same. And now no historian, it doesn't matter what they believe, no historian who's really done the research can try to argue that James was not real. They all know James was a real personality. And they all know they can they have to accept these facts based on all this other eyewitness evidence that's been piled around his life, that he was related to Christ, that he was an old skeptic who became a believer in the early days of the apostles' preaching. And they cannot explain what in the world changed his attitude towards his own brother. If You would expect him to hate the apostles mm -hmm. because they are literally uh, feeding into this delusion. They're feeding into this delusion. Um, some people might consider this crass. I don't. But they're, they're crapping all over his brother's legacy. What little bit could be salvaged there? Mm -hmm. You're already embarrassed and ashamed and hurt. And now these people are, you know, dancing in the streets saying that, oh, he's risen again. He has power. He holds the universe. I mean, I would honestly be probably getting into a fist fight with one or two of them if I'm in their position. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, people get angry when they, you know, when if someone disses a family member in a grocery store, it turns into a throwdown and gets all over YouTube. I mean, to imagine something on this level, mm -hmm. an entire cult full of people who claim to care about your brother or you know, dancing around and making crazy claims about him, and then you join them. I mean, it doesn't add up. Right, right. So real quick, just in the couple of minutes we have left, uh, maybe you can land the plane with this. Bum, bum, bum. So bum, bum, we've bum. talked about, and even if you're still a skeptic, so you have Paul, and yeah, Paul was converted mm -hmm. uh, radically. Mm -hmm. You had James who James was converted mm -hmm. radically. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Let's think bigger. Let's think the Roman Empire, mm -hmm. which goes from their pantheon of gods, their iron fist mm -hmm. rule absolutely, to going from that mm -hmm. to... And we, if you haven't listened to our Council of Nicaea episode, mm. definitely go back and listen to that. But oh, that yeah. was what, AD 300? About 325 AD. Yeah. Yep. So how do you go from AD 33 <laughs> to AD 325, 300 years, if the Romans were so good at crushing rebellion, crushing dissent, absolutely authoritarian, mm -hmm. crushing any dissent, going from this massive empire throwing away basically i mean i'm sure not all of them did but right, a great right percentage basically converting to christianity mm -hmm. yeah. right you know how do you you know that rat that radical change mm -hmm. of an entire empire mm -hmm. yeah. in just a couple of centuries mm -hmm. um, with this one man and this right. one movement that mm -hmm. started with just a couple hundred people. Mm -hmm. Like oh, yeah. how do historians even begin tackling such a radical change within the Roman empire? Yeah. With a fever and a Tylenol. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm going to poke it with a stick and then just claim that I've actually addressed it and really not and just mm -hmm. pretend like I had. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, because 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 if if it was such a if it's such just a delusional fantasy, how can anybody be dumb enough to believe that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have these people. Mm -hmm. but all they are they're still adding up to just still a small group of people mm -hmm. oh yeah how does that fundamentally alter something as massive and as authoritarian as the roman empire right <laughs> right you know i mean yeah, like, it's 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 mind-boggling because i mean there's even instances before it gets to that point where uh caesars were uh, condemning the Bible and you know, like confiscating it and and like executing anyone who had it. I mean, there was such huge attempts before 
um, before Constantine and Nicaea and all that happened, where the Roman Empire was doing its darndest to try to destroy Christianity. Um, and yet somehow, um, you know, a couple hundred years later, like, uh, says, okay, now we're going to be Christian. And that very book that we've outlawed numerous times, Caesars, different Caesars, I think even in, within, I think it was uh, Constantine's predecessor who actually uh, was one of the ones that said that if you're caught with a Bible, you're executed, and then, you know, to burn the Bibles. So it was like they were trying, they were actually trying to purposefully destroy Christianity. And then his next uh, uh, follower, uh, next Caesar after him, says, Oh, nope, I had a vision, I had a dream, I'm going to convert to Christianity. Now, we've had that debate as whether or not that was actually genuine or not. We don't know, God knows. Um, but still, I mean, the fact that this has radically changed uh, from a small minority of fishermen and a couple educated people to now the whole Roman Empire um, was a huge game changer. And that cannot ha that has not happened. I don't know if I mean, if, if someone has another example of something like this happening in a different culture or what have you, uh, please drop us a line. Give us, send us a link of something. I'd like to, I'd like to know about it because um, Jesus has not. I mean, he, obviously he's changed the world even still to this day, but he changed the world back then too. And he just used like a couple hundred people, women and um and uh, fishermen and, and and that was before social media yeah before <laughs> yeah. before instant access to information like yeah. That, oh, yeah that story had to travel by word of mouth mm -hmm. by you know written accounts and that can change mm -hmm. oh yeah very easily mm -hmm. oh yeah it's not like you can google breaking news of something happening in real time on the other side of the world right right yeah. like the fact that that remained intact mm -hmm. through all of those iterations of being passed down story to story, person to person, right, and mm -hmm. still was able to keep the core of what that message was intact. You don't get that. <laughs> you don't get that, right? No, it's almost like there is a dot 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 supernatural <laughs> entity uh, behind all that. Oh, spoilers! Spoilers. I mean, <laughs> Just the just the impact of this idea, and I'm not gonna just revamp everything Zach's already shared with us. But you know, Caesars, emperors, the most powerful men in the world, declaring war on people groups, declaring war on written do written documents, burning books, trying to kill as many as possible, imprison as many as possible, encouraging neighbors to rat on as many as possible to squelch this. Uh, I'll say I'll call it a cancer from their perspective. It's like trying to radiate a cancer, and the couple of cells that survive continue to multiply, and they can't get rid of this thing. They call I mean there are writings by people in Rome sending letters to each other, trying to correspond about the crushing of the Christians, and they call it a scourge, a curse, a crazy superstition that won't go away. Mm -hmm. And you have these two bookends. When you look at the public opinion of Jesus of Nazareth in ancient Rome, um, there are two mosaics there are great bookends to this on the early end the church has just begun the apostles are just now starting and according to the stories which and for all the reasons we've reiterated there's every reason to believe it these men were able to commit some of the same miracles that jesus did and got people's attention it started the spreading you can't shut up about this stuff but in public to mock jesus they put up a mosaic, and um, the last time I tried to Google image it, it worked. Maybe if you try and you, you fail, I apologize. But uh, there's a mosaic of Jesus with the head and the arms and the tail of a donkey to try to mock him. And if anyone considers this too crass, I'm literally just quoting the mosaic to really have the full impact of how offensive this was to Christians. But it the caption says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jackasses. And they literally said this in public. They put it up. They laughed about it. And, I mean, if you did something like this, it would probably be put down, if not burned, within 24 hours in modern America. But, uh... uh nowadays, maybe not. 
depending on the the public outrage, but it would definitely be there, even if it simmered on the up below the surface. But then, fast forward three hundred years, which in the grand scheme of human life, that's not that that's not that long when you look at history as a whole. So you go from that mosaic to one that was much more respectful. And when Constantine adopted Christianity for the empire, all the gods of the pantheon are nothing but dusty stories. And now we have this man who just three centuries ago in a world where change is very slow, he's gone from king of the jackasses to king of kings, lord of lords, very god of very god, of the same substance as Yahweh of the Jews standing over the entire empire. We will bow down to him. He holds the future of this world, and we are where we are for that reason because of his influence. That's another episode we've already recorded, but just the detail that he has changed. Every moral decision we make is based on his teachings. Every decision we make as a world, no matter what country it is, has an echo or a direct quote from Jesus or his thinking or those who directly followed him with the full belief that he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, you know, he was, he is the, the peasant that they could not get rid of. Mm-hmm. And he folded, allowed himself to die, and conquered a king much power, more powerful than anybody who would have taken a sword up and tried to fight with warfare could have ever toppled. Um, I'll close with this. One of my favorite quotes is from a historian named Will Durant. Um, he's a professional historian. He's no longer with us. I, he was not a believer. But he loved history, and he actually wrote a multiple-volume set. I want to say 12. Don't hold me to that. But I do know it's volume 3 of his History of Civilization. It's called Christ and Caesar. And the whole volume is dedicated to this massive shift, this extreme vertical swing that history took. It was on one trajectory, and it just completely derailed and landed somewhere else. And Will Durant says, Metaphorically, Christ, this armless peasant, and Caesar, the king of the world, the literal man who was worshipped as one of Zeus's own children, he has the power of the gods. Christ and Caesar met in the arena of ideas, and Christ won. And we live in Christ's world today. I mean, that blows my mind for a historian who does not believe, but he knows his stuff to say this. He said, you'd be out of your mind not to credit almost everything we have today to Christ. That is the seed that was planted by that Jewish preacher. I mean, just let that sink in. If you believe him, if you believe in his resurrection, if you're a believer listening to this, celebrate Easter with us from the very deepest part of your soul. Great. Amen. 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 If you're not, please consider everything that we've said sincerely, humbly, and with an open mind. It could mean absolutely everything. I believe it will. Easter's not about bunnies and chocolate and and colorful uh, eggs. eggs. (laughs) I mean, now those things are nice. Um, just kind of going off of what Robert said, but I mean, uh, this, this, um, the resurrection is such a powerful, uh, change life, earth changing, earth shattering, uh, reality. I'll just say that it's a fact, but it's also reality. Even if you reject that fact, um, it's still reality. It's kind of like if you reject gravity, it's like gravity still there, even if you reject it or not. Um, but the reality of this stuff is the resurrection is by far the most prominent, the most important thing in our world. Because if Christianity is true, if Jesus is truly who he claimed he was and he did truly raise from the dead, then you can take every promise that he's ever made to the bank. It may not, it, some of those promises may not apply to us, like some of the Old Testament stuff, and that might be where some of the confusion gets, and we can maybe talk about that some other time. Um, but Christianity, Jesus, is a game changer. And when you submit to that truth, it is the most freeing thing. I mean, it's 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 it sounds crazy, but it's like when you surrender to the Lord, when you surrender to Jesus, there's freedom in that. And it and it's and it sounds crazy because it sounds like you know you lose this and you lose, you know you lose the 
the control over your life and you lose the control of, you know, the various elements of your life that you think you have control over. Um, but the reality of it is, is you don't. And But when you surrender to Christ, whenever you surrender to um, the resurrected Savior, uh, everything makes sense. And even when life doesn't go the way you want it to go, you can still rest in the fact that he's God and that he, all the things that he went through is by far the worst things and that he will uh, never leave you and you can put those things, those uh, promises and rest in those and know that no matter what, he will not disregard you. He won't leave you. Um, you're, even if like your parents reject you, I don't know. There are some people out in this world who love their parents and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's some people who are afraid to become Christians because if they become Christians where they live, um, they might be disowned by their family. But I tell you, Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. He is completely and totally worth it because is it, is it not, is it, what is better? Is it better to have your family or is it better to have God? It's great if you have both and it's awesome when you have both. But if you have a choice between family or God, which would you rather have? Um, and I think I think everybody who's a Christian out there would say, if you can't have both, because you know we're, some of us are blessed to be able to have that, then you'd say God. And because if I, having lost majority of my family, my mom and my dad uh, passing at an early age, um, I I don't know where I'd be right now without Christ. And that's just the reality of it. And so I'm, I am grateful that I came to the knowledge of truth of who Jesus was before that happened because he helped me through those losses. And I would encourage anybody who is maybe counting the cost, weighing the options and saying, well, you know, if, if I become a Christian, you know, uh, I might lose my family. I might lose friends. I might lose positions i might lose job i might even lose my life depending on where you're at in the world then you might be hearing this but i'm telling you it's worth it he's worth it amen and that's and that's what i'll say about that because the resurrection did happen and jesus did rise from the dead and we do celebrate a risen savior well thanks everyone listening thank you for listening to this um bonus easter episode um i hope everyone had a good easter i hope um if you are not in church i hope someone at least invited you to easter sunday uh service and if you are a christian i hope you invited someone who doesn't go to church um to kind of hear that but um thanks at least for tuning in listening to us um, we really appreciate it. And um, yeah, with that, we'll leave you here and we'll see you on the next episode. So thank you all. Oh, Goodbye. Yeah.